Well, let me begin by highlighting two events that will take place at Monterey in the next few weeks. In my judgment, both of them honor in very, very significant ways our mission to love God and to love others, to honor the challenge that you just saw in that little video. How can we love better? Uh, first event, as Jimmy and Shelley shared with us a few moments ago, one month from today, four weeks from today, is our annual Missions Sunday. Uh, you may or may not know uh, the entire history of the Monterey Church. This church began in 1963, almost 60 years ago. And almost from the very beginning, Monterey has been involved in ministry and in mission efforts around the globe. Uh, where we are today, uh, our current operating budget, what we give on a weekly basis, uh, our, our, our annual operating budget includes a rather significant line item that, uh, that enables us to be involved in mi uh, mission efforts uh, in several different places in Africa, in Central America, and right here in Lubbock. But in addition to those funds, we have shared together in an annual special missions contribution over and beyond our regular operating budget, we have shared in that contribution since 2012. And you as a church family have given so generously and so faithfully in that special contribution, enabling us to expand our mission efforts around the globe and likewise giving us the incredible opportunity of looking and exploring and dreaming and praying regarding other doors of opportunity God may be opening for us. And so as Jimmy said, our goal this year is $120,000 we encourage you to prayerfully consider how you can be involved. Uh, there are some cards at the info desk in the Great Hall. You can also find this information on our app that gives you some details regarding where those funds uh, will go if we reach our goal. Loving God, loving others, how can we love better? Uh, the second event, and quite frankly, there are a number of significant challenges in our current culture, uh, conversations that we as believers need to be involved in. And I look forward to conversations regarding a number of those in coming weeks. One of those conversations has to do with race relationships. And so in, co in coordination with the Truth and Reconciliation Group that has been meeting in Lubbock for several months, several of us are a part of that group, we have the wonderful privilege of hosting Dr. Jerry Taylor here at Monterey on Wednesday evening, February the 17th at 7 p.m. Jerry has been at Monterey previously. It's been a number of years. He is the founding director of the Carl Spain Center for Race Studies and Spiritual Action at Abilene Christian University, uh, teaches in the Bible and ministry department as well. Uh, Jerry will be speaking that evening on the topic, Race Relations, Why This is an Important Conversation. I encourage you not only to be here in this room that evening, but want you to be aware that we will also be live streaming that event. Loving God, loving others, how can we love better? Last Sunday, our annual Family Commitment Sunday was also a visible, tangible reminder of our call to love God and to love others as we honored and blessed families who experienced the birth of children during the year 2020. Our commitment as a church to walk alongside those families, to nurture and bless one another in our journey of faith. Love God, love others. How can we love better? 
Today, we step back into the series that we began the first Sunday of this year, a series that we're calling Like Jesus. What does it mean to think like Jesus with all of the intricacies that are wrapped in to how we think into our thought processes? What does it mean to think like Jesus? What does it mean to act like Jesus? Shoes on the ground, sandals on the ground. What does it mean to follow in the footsteps of Jesus? What does it mean to act like Jesus? And then, what does it mean to be like Jesus? Just that kind of presence. Jesus says we are salt and light and leaven. So, what does it mean to be like Jesus? The question that we tackled two weeks ago was, what does it mean to think like Jesus? And I want us to continue that conversation this morning. Two weeks ago, we specifically looked at the temptation scene at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, near the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. The Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness where for 40 days he does not eat. He fasts. And at the end of those 40 days, he is tempted by Satan. Again, as he gets ready to begin his ministry, three specific temptations. And to each one of those temptations, Jesus responds by saying, it is written. He quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. Obviously, Jesus is divine, but from a human vantage point, Jesus also, from the time he was a boy, had read and memorized Scripture his entire life. But it was more than just memorizing, I would suggest. The challenge is to dwell in the Word of God, to know the story of God, to be equipped and ready when we face the challenges and the temptations of life. That's what it means to think like Jesus, to dwell in the Word of God, to be devoted to prayer, to submit to the Spirit of God. And so with that background and the power of that story on the front end of his ministry, with that background, let me invite you to join me today reflecting on another paragraph from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Moses says to the people of Israel, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, I'm specifically going to circle back to that text in a few moments, but I want you to have two thoughts that are at the heart of that text. I want you to have two thoughts in the back of your mind throughout the sermon this morning. One, did you notice the emphasis that Moses gives to the kinds of behavior, the kinds of talk, the kinds of behavior that will shape our thinking. He says, these commandments are to be upon your hearts. You who are parents, impress them on your children. Talk about them. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. In other words, our behavior, what we do, what we talk about, our behavior will influence our thinking and in turn, our thinking will influence our behavior. And so as we ask the question, so what does it mean to think like Jesus? Maybe we also need to be asking the question, what do we talk about? 
What do we talk about with our families, with our friends, with our children? What do we talk about when we are riding in the car, when we are sitting at home? What do we talk about in the morning, in the evening? Because our behavior, our talk, influences our thinking, and then our thinking influences our behavior. The two go hand in hand. And so keep that in the back of your mind as I preach this morning. And then secondly, I want you to be aware that this text in Deuteronomy 6 is the first time in Scripture where the word love is specifically used to describe humanity's response to God, humanity's relationship to God. Now, that's been underneath the surface all the way through those opening books of the Old Testament. But in specific ways, this is the first time the word love is used to describe our response to God. The thought is, simple, we love God because He first loved us. In fact, a New Testament writer, 1 John The writer of 1 John says it that simply and that profoundly. We love because God first loved us. In Deuteronomy 6, we love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. But here's what I want you to catch. Loving God was the subject matter for the Israelites' entire day. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as I preach this morning, that loving God was the subject matter of the Israelites' entire day. But we're also going to ask the question as we think about loving God, so what does that look like? In very practical ways, what does it mean to love God? And hopefully we're going to flesh some of that out throughout this series as we talk about thinking and acting and being like Jesus. So keep those two thoughts in the back of your mind. Now, Those of you who've heard me preach for any length of time at all know how much I love words and phrases. And so in addition to those two thoughts, there are two words I hope you grab hold of this morning. First word is the word memorize. And I want you to begin with me by thinking about the different things that you have memorized through the years. Maybe for many of us, the sorts of things that we memorized when we were in school, facts, poems, maybe as a little bitty child, parents encouraging you to memorize your address, your phone number. You memorize birthdays. You memorize lines from your favorite movies, statistics related to your favorite athlete or your favorite sports team. Think about the things you have memorized through the years. And quite frankly, you have memorized a whole lot more stuff than you may even realize at first blush. We've just memorized a lot of stuff, all of those details that are a part of our minds, our memories. Now, I won't presume to speak for all of you, but I'll tell you very quickly that I have often memorized details that really don't capture the essence of life. Even when I've memorized good things, there are times when I've memorized details that really don't capture what life is all about, that really don't capture the things that I really need to be thinking about every day. For example, when I was in school, elementary, middle, high school levels, I memorized the multiplication table. Anybody else remember or memorize that? Not a bad thing to know. It's important to be able to add and subtract and, and, and multiply but I'm not sure that that's at the heart of of life. 
I memorized the presidents of the United States, the opening paragraph of, of the Declaration of Independence. I memorized Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. I also memorized baseball and basketball statistics. Maybe all of that memory work had its place, but most often those details really didn't capture the essence of life. Now let me step out on a limb, even think about some of the things we memorize in Sunday school and church. I memorized the 39 books of the Old Testament. Anybody else? If you raise your hand, I'm going to have you stand and recite them. I memorized the 27 books of the New Testament, even, even learned a song that helped me remember those 27 books. I memorized the 12 sons of Jacob. I memorized the 12 apostles, and some of you have heard me say this. There was even a song that helped you remember the names of the apostles. Jesus called them one by one, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and, and eight other Jews. I memorized the names of the apostles. Now, don't misunderstand. I think there's value in memorizing those books and those names, but the question would still linger. Did memorizing those details really capture the heart of the life that God calls me to? I remember Bible classes that I took as an undergraduate student at a Christian university. Uh, Michael, you're old enough to remember like me here. In every one of those Bible classes, we had to memorize 75 verses. Well, as a Bible major, there were times when I was taking three and four Bible classes each semester. That's as many as 300 verses that I was memorizing each semester. In some of those classes, the professor would assign the verses that you had to memorize. In other classes, the professor would say, you, you pick what you want to memorize. And so if the professor said, you pick, everybody picked Jesus wept as one of the verses. I even memorized the entire book of Ephesians in one of the classes I had on Paul's epistles, and that still serves me well today. I think that's a good thing. But even then, hear me clearly, even then, I was often memorizing verses purely for the sake of an assignment, and perhaps memorizing some verses that, when all is said and done, really didn't speak to the heart of the life I need to live as a follower of Christ. Here's my point. The real power and significance of memorizing is not just to be able to recite the 39 books of the Old Testament or to recite the verses in the book of Ephesians. The real power and significance of memorizing is to allow those words to sink deep into our hearts and our minds and our lives to make a difference in how we think and ultimately to make a difference and how we live as a person, but it is a behavior, memorizing, dwelling in the Word of God that enhances what I think about. The power of memorizing, which brings me to the second word, and that is the word creed. Like many of you, I grew up in a church tradition where we did not have a creed, or at least we would say we don't have a written creed. There may have been a lot of unwritten creeds. Some of you, on the other hand, grew up in religious traditions where Part of your worship, part of the liturgy was to recite creedal statements together. I was taught, hey, creeds are man-made, and so we need to stay away from them. The only thing we need to do is study the Bible, and I'm certainly grateful for the emphasis that, the emphasis that was given to Bible study and reading and reflection. I think that's a valuable piece of our heritage. But I want you to hear the other side of the coin as well. It was many years later when I began to study church history and to read the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed that I began to see the word creed from a different perspective. For example, the word creed itself 
comes from a Latin word that simply means, I believe. And so a creedal statement is a statement of belief, a statement of faith that describes the beliefs that are shared by a community of faith. It may not be absolutely parallel, but in some respects, similar to what we at Monterey have done as we have written a mission statement and a set of vision and value statements that help define who we believe God is calling us to be, the kind of life that God is calling us to. Well, the words I read a few moments ago from Deuteronomy chapter 6 were at the heart of the Jewish religion, words known as the Shema, the Hebrew word for hear, Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. In Jewish history, originally, as they recited the Shema, the Shema would have basically been verse 4 of that chapter. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But then as they continue to make that a part of their history, the other verses that I read, love God, impress those words upon your children, talk about them when you walk along the road, when you sit down, etc. Those words, the Shema was expanded to include those words, as well as words in Deuteronomy 11 and Numbers 15, words that would have challenged the Israelites to love God, to think about God, to honor God that would lead them ultimately in the words that Moses will often use in the book of Deuteronomy to not forget God because those words are a part of your memory and because those words are a part of how you think every day. It influences your behavior as well. Bottom line, the Shema was the defining statement of faith for the Jews, words that distinguished them from all other world religions. And so the Jews would have recited the Shema two times every day when they got up in the morning and when they went to bed at night with the conviction, may not have always done it well, but with the conviction that speaking and thinking those words would influence their behavior. And so they would recite those words at least two times a day, but those words may have been recited several other times during the day as well. When they left their homes, when they walked along the way, when they returned home in the evening, the Shema was the first prayer that Jewish children were taught to say. Again, the power of memorizing, but beyond that, the words that we think have a profound impact on how we live. The Shema became even a cry of martyrdom for Jews. Jewish martyrs would recite the Shema as they died, demonstrating the centrality of their faith. In rabbinic tradition, Shema uh, testimony was defined as acceptance of the yoke of the kingdom of heaven, a pledge of loyalty to God. And this turned into a significant piece of the Jewish liturgy when the people gathered to worship Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and we are to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so you've got that background historically when you look at the Israelite people, and now we come to the first century. And we come to that moment in the ministry of Jesus. It's a story recorded in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Story's a little bit different in each one, but the emphasis is the same. Let me invite you to hear the way Mark tells the story. One of the teachers of the law came near and heard them debating with one another. Look at the overall context. Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians have been disputing with Jesus, questioning Jesus. 
noticing, this teacher of the law, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. There were 613 commandments or laws in the Old Testament, in the law of Moses. And maybe typical of preachers, typical of rabbis, the rabbis often discussed and debated and argued about which commandment was the greatest, even to the point of ranking those commandments, which again makes for this interesting setting in the Gospels. Again, Mark's Gospel, the one I just read, Jesus has been engaged in this question and answer session with the Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians. And one of the teachers who is hearing all of this and who says, hey, Jesus gave a good answer there, he asked another of all the commandments, which is the most important. In Matthew, there is a similar context, but Matthew is even more direct in saying that these folks, Pharisees and Sadducees, were trying to trap Jesus with their question. In fact, Matthew tells us that after Jesus had silenced the Sadducees with his answers, the Pharisees got together and one who was an expert in the law tests Jesus, tries to back Jesus into the corner with the question, so which is the greatest commandment in the law? That kind of debating, question and answer sessions, pretty common to rabbinic tradition. And again, Jesus responds by reciting the words of Deuteronomy 6. Words that every Jew would have known. The Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and we're to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then Jesus adds to the statement. Some writers would say he amends the Shema by saying the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's actually quoting the latter part of a verse in Leviticus 19. I want you to hear the entire verse. Moses says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And that phrase, I am the Lord, occurs several times in Leviticus. In fact, when you look at the overall flow of Leviticus at the heart of of the words that Moses on behalf of God is speaking to the people of Israel at the heart, the central piece of the book of Leviticus in the midst of all of the sacrifices, all of the provisions that Moses is giving the people of Israel at the heart of it is love your neighbor, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Some of you know the name Scott McKnight. In in his writing, Scott refers to these words of Jesus in Mark 12 as the Jesus creed, the creedal statement of what it means to think like Jesus and to act like Jesus and to be like Jesus, the Jesus creed. Scott suggests that the fundamental characteristic of a person who is spiritually formed is this. Such a person loves God by following Jesus and by loving others. In other words, spiritual formation is all about relationship. It is all about relationship. And it begins with us grabbing hold 
of that beautiful reality as we think more and more like Jesus. And as we will discover in coming weeks, it has to do with how we engage one another, our community, our world. It is all about relationships, relationship with God and with others. That's where it begins as we ask, what does it mean to think like Jesus? And so McKnight asked this question, what difference would it make in our lives if, like the Jews who recited the Shema two and three and four and five times a day, what difference would it make in our lives if we memorized and recited the Jesus Creed? Love God, love neighbor, love God, love others. What if we memorized and recited the Jesus Creed two and three and four times a day? When we get up in the morning, when we leave our home, when we're driving in our cars, when we return to our homes in the evening, when we go to bed at night as we offer prayers to God to allow those words to sink into our hearts and our minds to think like Jesus with the conviction, just as with the Shema, that when those words sink into our hearts and minds, they make a difference in how we live. We begin to think like Jesus. We begin to think like Jesus. We begin to think more deeply about what it means to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we begin to discover that to love God is often best demonstrated by how we love others. Not just our love for each other, as important as it is for us as brothers and sisters to love each other and to be devoted to each other. And not just loving those who may look like, smell like, act like, be like us, as important as that is but to grab hold of the reality of the truth that God calls us to love all people. That God calls us to love the poor, the disenfranchised. That God calls us to love those who do not have a voice for themselves. The unborn, children, the vulnerable, those who face injustice. And again, that's part of where we're going in coming weeks. And so church, here's my challenge for today. Because I, I do, and I, I think you do as well. I want to be more and more like Jesus. I want to act more and more like Jesus. But maybe it begins with me saying, maybe I need to think more and more like Jesus. To allow those words to be at the heart of my thought process morning and evening, day and night. And so here's my challenge. Memorize those words. But, but beyond memorizing, because I'm not going to give you a test to make sure you got every T crossed and every I dotted. Beyond memorizing the words, begin to think those words every day. Allow those words to become the creedal statement of your life. And so I'm going to invite you as our response today to read those words with me. And because I think there is power in us standing when the Word of God is read and when we affirm the Word of God, I'm going to invite you to stand. And if you're watching online from your home or in other places, let me invite you to stand as well, and let me invite you to read these words with me, words that challenge us to think like Jesus. Let's read together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. 
Did you notice? Jesus says, there is no commandment greater than these. I will not confess for you, but I will confess very quickly for me that far too often I have made other commandments more important than those two. And I fear in the history of Christianity, we've often done the same. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, as if to say, you get these two right, everything else falls into place. You get these two wrong, nothing else matters. And I'll confess again, far too often I've made other issues more important than those two principles. And I fear that far too often in the history of Christianity, we've done the same. And so may the words of Jesus challenge us to the core today. May we begin to think more and more like Jesus. Because I am persuaded when we begin to think more and more like Jesus we'll also begin to act more and more like Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, my prayer is simple. May we drink deeply the words that we read a moment ago. May they become the guiding force in our lives, the creedal statement of our lives, to love God with every fiber of our being, and to love others, to love our neighbor. God, we say those words, and we think those words, and we drink those words in, knowing that they're going to stir us to start acting more and more like Jesus. May that be the case. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.